All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to start Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Uh, and here's before I read this, I'm just going to set a foundation for this series today. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, an overview of what the book of Ephesians is going to do for us, what, what the Apostle Paul, when he wrote it, uh, what he meant and what it was for, and we'll journey from there. So Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's also talking, that, that can for us also mean, for those who are in real church, who are faithful in Jesus, grace to you. I love that this is not done by our own will and power. This is done by the power and the grace of God. To you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church. God, I love you. I thank you so much for all that you're doing in this place. Father, I'm, I'm humbled to stand before these people to deliver your word, God. And I pray that every heart would be ready to be receptive uh, to your word, God. And in that, God, we're, we're trusting that you're doing a work in us, uh, that you're doing a work in us inside of a family who, who loves you and serves you and wants to point others to your son, Jesus. Father, ultimately, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we walk through this book, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would te teach us and that you would lead us. Father, I thank you for all that you're going to do today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. So I've been uh, wrapped up in uh, what people would call the church world for quite some time now. Uh, as soon as I graduated high school, I left for Bible college. Uh, I felt called at the age of 15 uh, to pastor, and, and I just knew uh, when the Lord put that in me that I wanted to uh, do everything that I can to walk in that. Uh, my personality type is when I'm 100% in, I'm in. Uh, when I decided to follow the Cowboys this year, I was in. Somebody asked me, are you still in? I'm still in. Like, uh, I know they're not in the Super Bowl, but I'm still a Cowboys fan. Amen? Come on, Cowboys fan. Amen? Amen. And, and so uh, I've been wrapped up in this thing for a while, and, and God has graced me the ability and, and to, to work in a few churches uh, from a children's pastor, youth pastor, executive pastor. And I've kind of seen every area of the church and how it functions, how it should function, some things that we possibly could have done wrong, that we could have done better, things that we did great, things that we could have, uh, that we continue to do here at Real Church. Um, and here's one thing, though, as I continue to look at it, man, I always, uh, a question would pop up in my mind when it came to the subject of discipleship in the church. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to put a picture. And so forgive me, I'm going to pull this out because here's what I want to do. I want to paint this picture uh, in your head about what this looks like of these questions uh, that I felt like I, I'm, I'm going to be off camera. Forgive me, camera people. They always tell me to stay still and I can't stay still. Because the, the, the title of this series is called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And, and the book of Ephesians kind of paints this idea of sit, walk, and stand. But when it came to the question, when I would look at it uh, on, on the basis of discipleship in the church, here's what I saw. And over and over, I saw that. And as I read this book, the Lord just began to speak to me and, and, and through his word. Um, and, and I just kept asking, like, why do we continue to do this as a church if our journey as Christians doesn't begin with walking? Let me hear. Let me put this in the picture for you. Uh, so we, in, in Ephesians chapter two, they're not gonna put it up there. We'll get there in this this series. But in Ephesians chapter two, it says that every person who is born is born 
dead in their sins, okay? It doesn't, that, it puts it plainly. You are dead in your sins. That means you don't want to do anything but sin. You actually like your sin. You enjoy it. Sin is fun to you. Um, and, and so when people worship and they get emotional or, or they, they think about God's goodness and they sing, I'm going to make it through. Uh, if you aren't uh, a follower of Jesus, you're kind of wondering, man, like, what are they talking about? It's because as Christians, we wrestle with this sin in our heart. It's like, God, I want to rid myself of this. Can you rid me of this? And, and so we find ourselves in this space uh, of wondering, uh, man, how can I get rid of this? And so uh, everyone, again, is born into sin. And so we need the saving grace of Jesus, right? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing uh, that we can say. We can't be smart enough, good enough to attain this. This is a gift from God. Again, we'll get to that in Ephesians 2. So if you're a believer in here, you're a believer because God was good to you. Not because you were smarter, better looking, taller, darker, lighter, none of that. It was all because God's good grace in your life said, here, here you go. I want this for you. And you use that and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And here's what uh, I refer back to my question is when I see this in the church, picture somebody dead laying down uh, on, a, on a bed. You know, uh, if somebody were, let's say somebody flatlined at the hospital, let's put it this way, somebody flatlines at the hospital uh, and they get them back, they resuscitate them and they're able to come back to life. The first thing that the doctor does not do is say, cool, get up and let's go, right? He, he doesn't do that. that that's insane. That, that, that would be ludicrous for a doctor to tell a person who just came alive to get up and go home. And here's what we do in the church. Somebody is dead in their sin. They confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then we're like, let's go. It's time to start walking for the Lord. And it's like, whoa, 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 right? If you've been a part of church for a while, they're probably trying to plug you into a discipleship class. Go read this. You need to start living this way. You need to talk this way. Uh, you need to hang around these kind of people, right? And they're trying. They go immediately to your walk with Christ. Now, let me encourage you, if you've never know, uh, heard this before, our journey as Christians does not start with walking. It starts with sitting. This is where the journey for a Christian starts, is sitting. What do you mean by sitting? We come alive, right? We come alive. Jesus grants us the faith that we have. We come alive. We're born again believers. And then he says, man, you now have been seated with the Father. Why is it so important to sit? Have you noticed we live in a world that's go, 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 go all the time, right? I have three kids, and when somebody asks me how I'm doing, it's like, oh, I'm on the go 24-7. My kids keep me on my toes. If it's not this, it's that. If it's not, uh, if not my kids, it's the church. If it's not the church, it's whatever it may be. And it's always go, go, go. And it's so hard to sit in a world who's always going. And this is why I think Ephesians uh, the, the beginning idea is you need to sit. Too many of us are so busy going all the time from the moment we woke, wake up. How many of you, when you open your eyes to turn off your alarm, you immediately go to social media? You could be honest here at Real Church. You immediately go to social media. All right. There's a few honest people in here, a bunch of liars. Okay. How many of you uh, immediately go into, I got to get up and start going? and get my kids ready for school, I gotta get ready for work, what do I have planned today, 
right? Our minds, the moment we get up, it's always go. And so, again, in Ephesians, this idea of you need to sit. And, and my, my, my fear is that when many of you uh, who became Christians, for those of you who become Christians, we live in a, a, a Western uh, culture of Christianity where it's like, okay, it's time to walk, it's time to talk, it's time to look, it's time to act like a Christian. You need to do everything like a Christian. And it's like, man, what if we just ask the new people who just confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, man, I just want you to sit and think about what you just did. I want you to think about, I want you to sit, and I want you to think about the goodness of God in your life. You gave him every reason not to love you. You acted like a fool this weekend. And guess what? He says, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. You treated your spouse like garbage. And he says, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. You went off on your children. I love you. You, you probably made a choice of words towards co-workers that you could have used better words. And he says, man, I still love you. And if you ever just sit and think about God's goodness in your life, again, you've given him every reason not to love you, right? We've given him every reason to say, I think I can go find somebody better. And yet he says, uh, what we talked about last week, we trust the process that God is working in us uh, and that it's going to be over a period of time and it's all because he loves you and he has yet to give up on you we sang it this morning he has not failed us and he won't fail us if you're in a place where you think you are far too gone from the love of god let me tell you his love is far too big it's far too wide and it's far too strong the bible says in romans what can separate us from his love nothing nothing can separate you from God's love. If you call yourself a believer, nothing can separate you from his love. I don't know about you, but that's some powerful love. That's unconditional love. We, we, we're not familiar with that because we live in a conditional world where if we do something, somebody stops talking to us. They unfriend us on Facebook and we get our feelings hurt. We're like, oh my God, right? My follower count just went down on Instagram. And it's like, man, we're living in this world that is training, which the whole point is the, the word of God opposes everything about the systems of the world. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, man, if you're in this place and you call yourself a child of God, sit. You need to sit. And, and sometimes sitting for some people looks like getting behind a lawnmower. Sometimes sitting for people looks like baking. Sometimes sitting for people looks like going on a walk, going on a run, going to the gym. Whatever your sitting looks like, and in that time, can you just think about how good God has been to you? That your spouse still loves you when you've given them every reason not to. That your kids still are healthy. That, that you have a job Right? Sometimes we get up complaining about our job and we should get up being thankful for our job. Because I know there's tons of people, uh, even two years after the pandemic, can y'all believe it's two years after the pandemic? Two years and they're still uh, looking for jobs. Some might say that they're lazy, but that's another day for another topic for another day. But I do know people who are jobless because of the pandemic. I know who's people whose small businesses suffered because of the pandemic. 
And we want to get up and complain when we should be getting up thanking God. One of my favorite songs is gratitude. We sing it here. We sing gratitude and our hearts are thankful to God for everything. This week, man, I, 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 uh, I sent a text message to Pastor Anthony and it's because the Lord was wrestling in my heart uh, with some things about prayer. Uh, we talked about before that if we don't pray, uh, uh, instead of praying, we, we start wishing, right? I, I hope and I wish that my job gets better. I wish that uh, X, Y, Z. It's like, man, we need to be intentional about our prayers. We need to be specific about our prayers. Because when you're specific in your prayers, it causes you to sit. Because then you, you, you begin to think, man, I do have a lot to be thankful. Right? I, in the snow day the other day, I was thankful that I didn't have to walk. I was thankful that I can drive a vehicle. It's not a new vehicle, but I'm thankful it gets me from home to work. Right? And there's lists and lists and lists of things that we can be thankful for. And when we're thankful, it causes us to sit. And some of us have never sat before. Your journey with God, uh, maybe even putting blame on the church, it's, it's you came alive and it's like, oh man, I got to change who I am and everything about me. When that's God, God does that in us. We don't do that, right? God changes our hearts. And when God changes, on, changes us on the inside, it'll eventually change the outside. We care about different things. We love different things, right? And so uh, for those of you who maybe started your journey as a Christian and you began walking, maybe even running, you got plugged into a church and it's like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I encourage you today and for the rest of your days, can you sit every day? And, and it doesn't have to be for 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be for an hour. Man, five minutes on your drive. Can you thank God? Can you thank Him for everything in your life? Can you thank Him that you still have breath? Because God is that good to you. Here's what I love about the book of Ephesians. I was reading and one man said this. This book is the greatest, most mature, and for our time, because we're living in a crazy time, whether you are uh, politically red or blue, we're living in a crazy time. This is the most relevant, the greatest, most mature, relevant of all of Paul's works in the New Testament. Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy was incredibly smart. This guy was the chief. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. This dude was killing people. Uh, he, he was, his mission before he knew Jesus was to destroy the church. He spoke bad of the church. He hated the church. And then God captured his heart. And from that moment, he lived uh, to be one of the greatest apostles who ever lived and then gave us his work in writing. And it says this. But, uh, so he said that, and then here's what I want you to know, because here's what Ephesians is going to do for us as a church. What Ephesians does is it sets out to display the scope of all of God's goodness. All of it. Every ounce of it. And for his eternal plan for all of humanity. God's not just sitting in the sky twiddling his thumbs, hoping we figure this thing out. Because if, you, if you're like me, uh, you're, you're not that smart and you probably can't figure it out. If anything, you're going to screw it up probably even more, right? And so he's not sitting up there saying, well, good luck. No, he's got a plan and a purpose for all of humanity. And it's wrapped up in how beautiful and how good he is. And so my job uh, every week, and I, and I hope I make this clear to you, my job is not to get you to become a better person. 
My job is to tell you about the person and the work of Jesus, and he'll do that. He'll take care of everything that you've been wrestling with this week. And so if you came here to get this kind of inspirational, uh, let me help me be a better person, you're in the wrong place because I'm here to point you to Jesus and Jesus alone in all of his goodness. Here's the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all doctrinal, okay? Uh, and here's what I mean by that. These are all things that Christians should believe. So in the first couple of weeks in this uh, journey that we walk through Ephesians, it's all going to be things about what we should believe. Well, why, why is that important? Because what you believe is how you will live, right? If you believe that a, a, a baby in a mom's womb who has a heartbeat is a human, how do you live that out? You, you, you think abortion is wrong and it's killing a child, right? And so what you believe will always lead to how you live. And so some things in your life that you're doing, the way you live, it's because you were made to believe in such a way. Maybe it was in your upbringing and uh, how your parents parented you and uh, what kind of environment you grew up in. What you do is based on how you believe. So Paul lays out in the first three chapters, he says, hey, every Christian, every believer, here's what uh, our faith and uh, is based upon. This is what we believe. And again, this is important because of the time that we're living in is crazy. You got, if you watch the news, I don't watch the news, but if you watch the news, they're trying to convince you of what's right. People, your friends are going to try to convince you of what's right. They're, gonna, they're, they're, they're trying to convince you why being a, a, a free spirit and just your truth is your truth. Uh, I don't need church kind of thing. Th that's their truth. And if you are not rooted in your, your truth, man, you're just going to go from one idea to the next idea, to this idea, right? That's why uh, workout and, and diet th uh, things are so, people are jumping from this diet to that diet to this. And it's like, j just stop eating less calories. That was an encouragement for some of you who lost focus of your journey in 2022. I'm speaking to myself as I ate some Hot Pockets last night, all right? So what we do is based about what we, what, or what we do is based upon of what we believe. And so in, in the first couple of weeks, we're going to look at what we believe, not just as a church, but as Christians, dating back thousands and thousands of years ago. And that's what, I, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 to you. Because these first three chapters, again, are doctrinal of what we should believe because of the glorious riches of grace, uh, of His grace in Christ. That's what these three chapters... It's going to show us the beauty of his grace. It's going to show you and it's going to cause you to sit. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, and raised up with him and seated us with him. What did he do? When you became a believer, he sat you down. He sat you down, not just in some random place. He, he, he sat you down with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so this shows us that we, he, he, wants us to sit. Eight times in the book of Ephesians, it tells us to sit. And we're going to see that as we journey through it. Eight times he says, you are seated, you, you are sat. And so I encourage you, and if you're not sitting, you need to sit. Why? Because this right here will remind you of your position in Christ. Too many of you think your position in Christ is dependent on what you're doing throughout your week. 
how much you're giving throughout the week, how much you're serving throughout the week, how much you're not cussing throughout the week, how much you're not drinking throughout the week, how much you're not losing your crap over somebody. And you think that's your position in Christ. Our position in Christ is not based upon you and I. It's based upon what Jesus did for us. And I hope you never get sick and tired of me telling you that. Because I remind myself every single day. Because what do we do? We get wrapped up in the kind of people that we are. And guess what? We won't have to worry about the kind of person we are if we are seated. Because guess what? We're seated with Him. So this week I encourage you, man, be seated. But nothing gets accomplished when, when sitting. If you're like me and you're wired like me, you, you want to go, right? You can't be seated. I told my wife uh, this week on the third, what was it, Thursday when school got canceled, right? We woke up and I was like, man, I need to get up. I need to go to the office. She's like, you're going to the office today? You're not going to take a snow day? And I was like, and she guilted me. and so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She didn't have to pull my arm very hard. And so I ended up spending the day with my kids. Uh, had to make up for it the next day when I was supposed to be off, right? Uh, but if you're anything like me, you want to be on the go because nothing is accomplished sitting down, right? My dad raised me. You get up, you work hard, and you be the man that you need to be. And that's kind of fused into my walk with Christ because I think I am constantly have to be doing in order for God to love me, in order for God to be approved uh, of his, I need his approval. Our approval is not wrapped up in that. Our approval is wrapped up in Jesus. And that's our position in Christ. And then the chapters 4 and 6, these chapters are going to be very practical. These things are going to say, hey, you need to do this. Uh, it uses the word walk, actually. I, I, I want to, uh, I think I put Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 up there. Uh, it says this, therefore, so it gets through all what we should believe as Christians. And then it says, Therefore, that means because you believe this, now a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, he urges you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now that we've sat, we've sat about his goodness in our life, we've thought about it, we've thanked him for it, man, now I can finally have the right perspective of, man, this is why I do what I do, right? If you're in here and you're not a believer, your why might be your children, which we would all say that's, that's not a bad thing, right? But one day your children are going to walk or they're going to get up. They're going to be 18 and we're praying to God that they get out of the house, right? And they're going to go get a job and they're going to be good people in our community, give to our community, love our community. And that might be your why, but that why will run out. Your, your why might be, I got to hustle and I got to grind. I got to build my bank account. I got to get my portfolio built up. I got to be the best that I can be. Guess what? That will run out. Or it'll just every day, that notch will be taking down lower and lower and lower. So your why, whatever it may be, if it's not Jesus, it will fade. But if you're here, every day, you start here, every day, you're going to remember my why. Because he's good to me. Guess what? Him being good to you will never run out. That's good. It'll never run out. Nothing will ever separate us from that. And that can be my why. 
And now we can live uh, because there's implications to his grace. When something is good, it causes you to be. You don't have to focus on always doing. Man, it, you just uh, do it, right? It's like, I, I always use this analogy. It's like breathing. None of you in here are thinking about, all right, take a deep breath. Breathe out. Take a breath. Breathe out. No, you just naturally breathe and you do it. Some of you in a, whatever profession that you're in, you do things naturally, instinctively, intuitively because that's what you do. Same thing for Christians. When you believe a certain way, man, you're just going to start being this person. You're going to start being kind. When everybody thinks that you're a jerk, man, you're going to just start being kind and you're going to even, one day you're going to be like, dang, maybe I was too nice. Right? Hey, man, did I really give that much? You're going to get your end of the year giving statement from real church. And you're like, did I, did I really give that much? Why? Because it is natural to you. That's what you do. People are going to come over to your house and you're actually going to be hospitable and you're not just going to be thinking, God, when are they going to leave? Right? You're going to be like, man, they were here for three hours and I enjoyed it. Because now the Spirit of God is living in you, working in you, and you're becoming more like Him. That's the goal, right? That's what we learn in Untamed. It's not to be, be, be a better person. It's to become more like Jesus. And Jesus isn't just better, but He's perfect. And so the implications of God's grace, His goodness in your life should, it should, if it's real, it should cause you to live differently. It should cause you to speak differently. It should cause you to raise your kids differently. It should cause you to handle your money differently. It should cause you uh, to, to do everything in your life differently because His, God, because His grace is that good. So one through three, doctrinal, what we believe. Th four through six, practical. Because we believe this, now I will live like this. And then the last one that this book kind of puts this idea. If you want to go read it, go read it. It's a, it's a good book. Sit, walk, stand. Uh, it's by Watchman Nee. Um, and it, it's simply titled that. Go, go read it. Go buy it on Amazon. Uh, it, it, the last one is stand. This is our attitude, attitude towards the enemy. If you've never been told this, let me tell you. There is the, our, we're living in a, in a, there's more to it than what we see. Let me put it that way. There is a spiritual warfare. Okay, that is happening right now. Right? God is that. When Pastor Anthony said that God is for you, it, it means in the spiritual realm, there is wrestling going on for your good. Because if he wants good for you, something that's opposing him wants bad for you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He doesn't want your kids to know Jesus. He doesn't want you to be generous. He doesn't want you to serve. He doesn't want you to be kind. And so he's constantly working and putting things in your heart and in your mind, right? And one thing that I see popular that's running rampant in today is that thinking everybody's against you. Everybody's against you. You just got a bunch of haters everywhere around you, right? And they're drinking a haterade 24-7. And they don't want to see me succeed, right? That, that's, you hear that all the time. Man, that's why it's important to be in a community who loves you, serves you, prays for you. Our real groups, I, I constantly push those. Not because I'm trying to promote some idea, thought of living uh, for real church, but this is the idea uh, that the Bible puts before us. Is you need to be 
wrapped around people who love you, who love your children, who aren't going to talk bad about you, but they're going to pray for you. You need help. They're going to help you. Right? Uh, and so if, if that enemy is constantly trying to come at you, some of you right now, you can identify where the Lord's trying to attack you, whether it's at work, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with friendships, whether uh, it, it's with, within your own family, whatever it may be. It's because we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And that's all he is doing, is trying to make sure he gets that goal accomplished. And so if we sit and then we walk, then you and I can stand. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand. What are you going to stand against? The schemes of the devil. And if you think that the devil's not after you and your family and your kids, you, you're living in la-la land, to put it nicely. You have to be able to stand against the enemy. I, I love this analogy that this book used. It, it said that back in the day, armies were ordered to march into another country and to dominate it and to subdue it so that they could serve in that army. You and I are not commanded to march. Didn't you say we need to walk? Yeah, they're, they're different. We're, we're, we're called to sit. We're called to walk this thing out. And then we're called to stand. What do I mean by that? You and I are not necessarily in the offensive mode. We're not constantly trying to, to, to win. And Jesus has already won. That's good news to you. That, that should remove weight from you. That should move, remove pressure from you that you have to somehow win in this life. But man, all you have to do is stand. All you got to do is stand against the enemies of, that, that are coming against you in the spiritual warfare. You stand against the devil. So you, it's almost like you're in defensive mode because you're standing and somebody comes to you and be like, Psh, man, what do you think about, oh, boss? It's the enemy trying to speak evil against somebody. Psh, man, your husband could do more when he gets home. Enemy's trying to, to tear apart your marriage. Psh, man, can you believe that so-and-so is doing this and that? Enemy's trying to tear your friendships apart. Man, right? And it's constant, just whispers in your ear. And, and you and I, sometimes we give in to those things. And we do start talking ill of others. We start gossiping. We, we, we start uh, living selfishly. Right? The Bible says, hey, consider other people better than yourself. So if you're in here and you think you're pretty awesome, you got a high standard to, to think of other people better than yourself. So you, you, the, the enemy says, you know what, man, everybody's against you. You need to worry about your own and get your own. And it's selfish. Because guess what? If I'm constantly giving my time, giving my resources, giving anything that I have to offer, guess what the Lord is constantly going to be doing? He, he can be a, he's a way better giver than you and I. Way better. And so 
you and I have to be able to stand. We put the whole armor of God, and we'll get there when we get to Ephesians 6. We have to be able to recognize those schemes that the enemy's trying to, to play in our lives. Right? He, he uses all kinds of things. Right now, man, uh, I, I read a tweet this morning, specifically to men. Men, if you will not disciple your children, the devil will gladly do it. And we have to be the men and the women, the husband and wives, the friends, the parents that God has called us to be. Now, this isn't necessarily passive. We're not passive Christians. But we have to be able to sit, walk, and stand and identify that God has called us and he has ordered us to stand against what the enemy's trying to do in your life. And guess what? All those things, they're like harmonious. They happen all together because when you're sitting and you begin to think about, you begin to think about God's goodness in your life and, and, and you just start to, you begin to thank him and like, man, God, you're so good to me. You don't have, I don't, I don't give you reasons to be good to me, God, but you still love me and you still provide for me. You still take care of my children. You still uh, give me health. You still give me the ability to work. You still give me uh, the energy to play with my children and love my children and serve my spouse and help my spouse and all that while that's happening, guess what you're already thinking about doing? You're already thinking about doing everything that you just thank God for, right? And so that's how it becomes harmonious. And guess what? If anything comes against ruining that perfect circle, you're going to recognize it and be like, nope, that's not from God. That is not from God. That is from the enemy, and I know it's trying to tear my family apart. And we're not going to have anything to do with it. I can still point whatever that is to Jesus, but I'm not going to practice in those things that maybe the enemy's trying to bring into your life. So this morning, as we journey through the book of Ephesians, man, go read it. Go read it for yourself and just read it over and read it slow. If you've noticed, we started off in the first two verses today. This is going to be a long series, Pastor Carl. It, it might be, but here's my prayer. My prayer is that as a church, man, we're going to sink in our roots. God's going to do a deep work in us. I'm not worried about that. He's going to do his part. But our job, man, we're, we're going to sink into the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start to, man, some of you have never wrestled about Christianity. And if you think this thing is real, I was talking to a mom uh, this past week and she said that her teenage daughter is now uh, asking questions like, is this whole Jesus thing, is it real for me? Pastor's kids, so, you know, they're almost like made to believe that all of this is just, this is our lives, this is what we do. But we all know that every person must experience the grace of God for themselves, even our children. Some of you have never wrestled with that. Maybe you grew up in church and you're, you're supposed to do X, Y, Z and you're supposed to act, talk, and do a certain way. And I'm here just to encourage you, man, just sit and think about it. Wrestle with it. Man, ask God some hard questions. Because guess what? They're not hard for Him. And, ask, and as we look at those first three books, He's going to say, this is what we should believe. And you need to ask yourself, man, how do I believe that? Why do I believe that? Because, again, what you believe is what in the next four to six chapters, chapters four through six, it's going to drive you. It's going to compel you to live a life 
that will not make sense to others. People at work are going to look at you and be like, what happened to you? Why are you living that way? Why are you talking that way? Why do you do that? Why do you give so much time? Why do you go up there on, on Friday evenings to set up church? Fridays are supposed to be your night to chill. And I'm not guilting it. I'm, I'm just saying you, you live differently where it causes other people to look at your life and say, man, why do they do that? And then you're going to be able to start. Some of some, Most Christians, let me, let me say that most Christians, we're, we're pretty decent at these first two. It's the last one, the stand. We're awful at recognizing the schemes of the enemy. Now, granted, I'll give it to you. He's very good at what he does. He's very good at lying to you and making you believe lies. Very, very good. But we're so passive and we're not standing, so we give in to these lies that the enemy wants us to believe. That ah, church isn't worth it. Uh, it's all right. We don't need that. We don't need community. We don't need to sing. We don't need to sit under the Word of God and submit ourselves to the Word of God. That's where... I feel like most Christians, myself in there, we, we're just not very good at identifying those things. And so my prayer for our church is uh, as we journey into the next month for our one-year anniversary, man, we're going to have deep roots as a church. If you've never walked a Christian life where it was rooted deeply in the Word of God and more based upon how you feel like, I feel good, that means church is going to be good because it's in those times it's easy. It's the times when times get difficult and they get hard, that your roots are going to be so deep, nothing's going to sway you from truth, that you're going to be able to, in those times, look at the cross and say, it is finished because Jesus did it for me. And in those times, your roots are so deep, you're planted. And even though it may seem difficult, you're going to say, man, but God is still good. You might be sick, but God is still good. You might have some turmoil in your family, but God is still good. Your marriage might be going through a valley, but God is still good. You might lose your job, but God is still good. And that's my encouragement to you that as we walk through Ephesians, man, you're going to see the beauty of his riches. Man, you